Bible this morning. Turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. The dangers of drifting away. Now, I want you to remember that the writer of Hebrews is addressing Jewish believers. In Jesus Christ, they needed to see that Jesus Christ is God. We dealt with that last week. And that salvation was through Christ, and no longer did they have to rely upon the law. Jesus Christ completes the law. Jesus Christ becomes their complete sacrifice. Jesus Christ becomes uh, the final sacrifice. Jesus Christ becomes our final high priest. Now, uh, for us this morning... I believe most of us, it's not a struggle. But I want you to think of the Jewish mind, the struggles that they would have gone through. And so here's the writer of Hebrews, and the Holy Spirit is just speaking through him. Because they began to drift. They began to slip away. They began to go back to the law. There was a group called the Judaizers. And they were coming around, and they were undermining the teachings of Christ. Many of them were following Paul the Apostle. And they were looking at Paul's teachings. They said, well, listen, we believe in salvation through Christ. We believe that he is the Messiah. But you need to get back to circumcision. And we have to be very careful when, uh, you know, we've come to saving grace. And then we begin to look at the traditions, the rituals, the rites, and the customs. And before you know it, we begin to fade back in to that position. Now, for us, we didn't come out of Judaism. But be careful that we don't begin to slip, we don't begin to drift and go back to religion. So it's so important to see this. Now, basically, in Hebrews chapter 1, we studied the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that He is God, and that He is the Creator. We, we spoke of that last week concerning Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Jesus was there in creation. Then we began to see the superiority of Jesus Christ over the angels. That's what we saw last week. And we mentioned this, and I want to bring it back to your attention. He is not Michael the archangel. He is not Lucifer's brother. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. And so many of them had come to grips with that, but now they began to slip back. And so this morning... In Hebrews chapter 2, here in the first four verses, Paul warns the Hebrew Christians and the Holy Spirit is warning the church, and I believe for the last 1950 years, the dangers of drifting away. And then he brings it even further. Look at verse 3. Do not neglect such great a salvation. Oh, be careful when it can be so easy to begin to slip, and it's unnoticeable sometimes. Be careful when it's so easy to begin to drift back. Now, last week for both services, because we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, the church was packed. And it never fails. Uh, the following Sunday, the first service was limited. We were just, uh, you know, about a half skeleton crew. And I said, well, where were the ones that were here last week? And we basically have a decent turnout in the second service. But so many of us, because I've been there, there was a time you would only see me on Easter Sunday morning, and I thought I was doing God a favor. And then basically I wouldn't be back till Christmas 
or Christmas Eve. In fact, if you've been here before, and I tell the people, well, God bless you, we'll see you at Christmas. And I can identify because I was one of those. We call ourselves Christians, but we're already slipping away. We're already drifting. And so the the writer, which is the, the Holy Spirit, we can argue back and forth. Is it Paul? Is it not Paul? Let's come to grips. The Holy Spirit penned this letter to Hebrew Christians. And now the danger of drifting, the danger of backsliding, the danger of slipping away. Let's look at the first four verses. I want to just kind of read it through, and then we're going to go back up and make some commentary. And so he begins here, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. If you have a King James, lest we slip away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, and that just reward is recompense or a payback, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? And then he brings up the next position. And also, he says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. What a mouthful when it comes to these four verses. I want to pray again real quick. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask you for these four verses, Lord. Lord, as you're going to speak to our very souls, our our very hearts. Lord, encourage us right now. And Lord, let your Holy Spirit to, to challenge us. Lord, maybe somebody here or maybe more than one is here that uh, fits this category. I know I have in time past. Lord, that we wouldn't be embarrassed, but we would be challenged as the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. The dangers of slipping away, the dangers of drifting from the truth, of drifting from Christ himself. And so, Lord, encourage us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice now, as we begin to just develop this, the dangers of drifting away. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 1. Therefore, now when we look at the word therefore, we've explained it before. Therefore, what we just taught last Sunday, as we looked at chapter 1, we spoke of Jesus, the supremacy, that he is Christ, he is God, he is the Christos, he is the Messiah. Therefore, what we taught in chapter 1, that Jesus is superior to the angels. He's not Michael the archangel. He's not Lucifer's brother. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so then he says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Here, the the writer is just bringing it so clear, church. Listen to the translation of verse 1. Pay attention to the word of God, which you had previously heard. And what did they hear? They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pay attention lest you drift away 
Now, if you have a King James, lest you slip away. But I want you to see the Greek translation. Pay attention lest you begin to pass by, to flow by, to allow to glide by. And so Paul is warning the Hebrew Christian, be careful not to backslide. They were in danger of going back to their old ways. They were in danger of going back to tradition, rituals, rites, and customs. But what about us this morning? We could so easily begin to slip away. We could so easily begin to drift away or to go back, listen to the terminology, to go back to Babylon or to go back to Egypt. And that always speaks of a type of the sin nature. To go back to the world conditions. Or let's go to another avenue. Be careful we don't slip. Be careful we don't drift and go back to religion. It is so dangerous. And so Paul here is warning. That's why we come to church. So that we don't slip. So that we don't drift. This is why we come to church. This is why we attend Bible studies. This is why we pray. This is why we read our Bibles. Paul says, pay attention to what we have heard and what we have read concerning God's word. It can very well keep us from slipping away. It can very well keep us uh, from drifting away. Now, Vine's Dictionary of Greek Words gives us a little bit of insight, and he speaks about slipping away. He gives an example. It's like our ring that we have, and my ring is very loose. And so it can come off very easily. Now, the dangers of is when we're washing dishes. Now, I do wash dishes once in a while. And it never fails. Where's the, where's the ring? That's what he's speaking about. It so easily slips away. And we have to be concerned about that. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21, let me read it to you. Listen to what the proverb says. My son, do not slip away, but keep my counsel and intent. Keep it close to your heart, especially when you find yourself slipping. You miss one Sunday, and you miss another Sunday, and then all of a sudden, you know, you stop showing up on Wednesdays. And I mean, it just adds up. And here at the ministry, you know, we're at the size that pretty much we know who's here, who's not here. And I begin to pray once I see that you're not here for two Sundays. And we need to reach out to these because it's so easily that they begin to slip away. Now, we come here on Sunday mornings and we partake of the Word of God. And we come on Wednesday nights and we partake of the Word of God. But listen, you need to find that place in your own life. I hope and pray that you have a devotional time every day. Find some time. Find some solace time. I, I like to, you know, take the devotional time in the morning. I like to read a passage of Scripture. If not, at least a chapter. I love the proverb of the day. I, I love the psalm of the day. Be careful when you go, okay, it's Monday morning. I'm going to start this Monday. I'm going to read five chapters. I can guarantee you by the end of the week, you're reading one chapter, half a chapter, one verse. Start something and be diligent to it. Lord, keep me to read the psalm of the day. Lord, keep me to read the proverb of the day. Lord, help me to just go through the gospel of John. 
You know, one chapter. And, and please, don't be like all the most of us. I don't have time. We have time. We have time to watch Oprah. We have time to watch a Dodger game. We have time to watch, you name it, we have time. And so we need to take some time and to study to read God's word. It is so important to see that. Now, the Christian, we're still in verse 1. The Christian should always be concerned of personally beginning to slip away from our anchor, which is Christ. You see, the Bible teaches us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I want you to write down these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 and verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. And then I believe the writer is Paul. He brings it back in the book of Hebrews. And it's chapter 13, verse 5. And all three verses are the same. Moses is writing in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And he makes this promise. God's promise to him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is us that forsake God. It is us that slip away from God. It is us that drift from God. God is always there. And that's the beauty of his love and his grace and his mercy. No matter what I do wrong, Bob, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then Moses writes, and this is to Joshua, because Joshua was now taking the reins, and he's a young leader, and now he has the responsibility, listen, of what Moses had. And so there in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, he says the same thing. In other words, Moses said, man, if it was good enough for me, it's good enough for Joshua. Joshua, here's my promise to you. These are the words of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so the writer of Hebrews takes this concept from Deuteronomy 31 and from Joshua chapter 1, and he makes application to the Hebrew Christians. An application to us in Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, I like that. And I want you to hang on to that, church. Now, I spoke about slipping away. The ring can so easily slip away. There's another beautiful analogy, a beautiful story, and I heard it years ago. It's like somebody that has a small boat, and he's just come in to the dock, and he's done it over and over, and he ties it up. But as the years go by, you know, he, he just becomes so, uh, you know, it's so nonchalant. I do this all the time. I go out and do my fishing. I come back to the dock, and I secure it. And so now he begins to just put a few loops. There's no more knot. There's no more secure. And what happens is one day the waves start to act up. A small tempest comes in, and then before you know it, that little turning of just two loops, the boat begins to unlatch. And before you know it, it begins to slip away. It begins to drift away. And before you know it, it's out to sea. And that happens in so many Christian lives. Now, I want you to take heart to this verse. In John chapter 15, there's a beautiful story. You've studied it before. We've taught it here. It's called the vine and the branches. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And so we plug in to Christ. 
And what does, you know, a branch do as it plugs into the vine? It gets nourishment and it brings forth fruit. And there in John chapter 15, Jesus gives us the beautiful position of our walk with him. If you abide in me, he says, I will abide in you. The word to abide in the Greek means if you stay in me, I will stay in you. You see, again, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we have to abide in him. And then the Bible says, I'm going to bring forth fruit. But am I abiding in Christ? Or have I separated from that vine? We have two beautiful uh, Mexican elders. It's a tree that was planted, you know, years ago in our front yard. And I remember I got them, you know, five-gallon buckets. And through the years, we've watched them mature. They're beautiful trees. You see them throughout, you know, our Mesilla Valley. And so we had the strong winds, right? And if you're not careful with those trees, the branches, it'll break. And it did. It just took a big chunk off. And it broke my heart. And it didn't take long. That portion, it was a good-sized tree that broke off, a good branch. But you could see it. It began to die. And we had to throw it away. And that's what happens to the believer. We begin to drift away. And so in John 15, stay in Christ. Remain in Christ. Especially when we're living today in perilous times. Now I'm going to give you three verses. I want you to listen. I want you to write them down. These are three verses that, you know, I've placed in my own life as checks and balances. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, listen to what Paul says. Strong words concerning your salvation. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear, to have godly reverence towards God, lest the judgment come. Man, I want to serve God. Enoch said that, he, the Bible says Enoch pleased God, and God took him. Now, not only does it say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the reverence of God, but the word to tremble in the Greek means to quake, it means to shake, it means to shudder. Because of the judgment, if I stray away from Christ. You see, I know too much. You know too much if you come to this ministry. The Bible says, for much is given, much more is required. And so the more we hear, listen, the more we're going to be held accountable. And so we have to stay in Christ. Now, a second verse that just floors me. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Test yourself. Now, the word to examine, it means that we need to take a personal inventory. The word to examine yourself, scrutinize yourself, prove yourself. The word to test, discern your walk with God. And again, in John 15, uh, he is the vine, we are the branches, and we are to bring forth fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And so in self-examination, is there evidence of fruit in my life? Am I bringing forth fruit that glorifies God? Now that's our third verse. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, be careful because years back, I remember I studied this and I read it and I heard it and I picked it up somewhere. And we begin to spit it out this way. The fruits of the Spirit. And we make it plural. And as I began to look at that and I heard another teaching on it. And you look at the Greek structure. It is singular. Listen. The fruit. Singular. Of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you have to work on the first fruit. And that is love. And once love It is operating in and through your life. And that's agape love. And you can only acquire that through Christ. It's his love working in me and through me. And so the fruit of the Spirit. Now, once love is working, once love is part of your life, then Paul continues. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love, and then it goes to joy, to peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. But it begins with agape love. Is there love? Is there evidence of love in your hearts? Beautiful portion of Scripture. Now, these fruit of the Spirit, these are characteristics working in and through me. These characteristics obviously are in Christ. And the Bible says that we are to be more like Jesus every day. Do I believe now, I need to ask this question. Do I believe that I can lose my salvation as I drift away, as I slip away, as I backslide? I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Now there's an argument. Can you lose your salvation? Are we once saved, always saved? Well, I need to ask the question, did you ever get saved? Because the Bible says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says, uh, is there evidence of fruit in your life? Is God, his agape love, is it working in and through you? Is it ministering in and through you? Do I believe you can lose your salvation? The answer to that is no. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says we are saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest the man should boast. We come to saving grace. Now, the Hebrew Christians were coming to the place of backsliding. They were coming to the place of drifting. They were coming to the place of slipping from Jesus Christ. How important it is to have that first fruit, love. Back in the 70s when we had come to saving grace, it, it, it just seemed like all the songs that were, we were singing We're all about love. You know, we want Jesus' love. Lord, I want to be more like Jesus. Beloved, let us love one another. Love is the common denominator. You see, I didn't have love before I came to Christ. You didn't have love. Or if we did have love, it was eros or it was phileo, but it was not agapeo, and that is divine love. There's a beautiful passage. I want you to study it when you get home. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, if you have a study Bible, you open it up to the back, and you can see your maps, and then you go to where Paul is in his missionary journeys and such, 
And, and if you look at the seven churches of Asia Minor that are mentioned there in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, and you'll see the churches, it's kind of like a horseshoe effect. Paul went to each one of those churches, developed, you know, ministries there, placed pastors there, and then Jesus now writes these seven letters to these seven churches that are part of the early church and the history of the church even to this day. In other words, the first letter that was written was to the church at Ephesus. Now, the church at Ephesus most likely is not in existence. There's churches in Ephesus today, but it's not the church. But the same style of Ephesus church is throughout the world. You see, the church at Ephesus was the first letter. They had been in ministry approximately 30 to 40 years. And in the letter, Jesus would, you know, praise them for the good works that they were doing. And to the church at Ephesus, he says, man, your, your prayer life is good. Your witness is good. Your study of the word is good. And just, you know, giving them a pat on the back. And then as Jesus comes to the conclusion of the first letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor, he says to the church at Ephesus, but I have this one thing against you. And it's kind of floors you because, you know, he had been building them up. Man, you do good here, you do good here, but I have this one thing against you. And then he tells them, you have left your first love. Oh, church, we have to be so careful that we don't drift away from the love of Christ. Jesus, I keep falling in love with you over and over again. We used to sing that song. Man, it was such a melody and it was such a part. Even when I was at work, it would be in my heart. Beloved, let us love one another. It would be just ingrained in my heart. And I would say those prayers, even at my workplace, Lord, I want to be more like you. Lord, I want your love. Let it permeate my life. But the church at Ephesus began to falter after 30 to 40 years. In other words, church became mechanical to them. Well, we go to church on Sunday, you know, we have worship, and then we read the scriptures, and then the pastor just brings forth a message, and then we're challenged. There has to be more to that. Be careful that it does not become mechanical. And see, that's a danger that I can so easily fall trapped to. I love studying God's word. And so we have our Sunday morning, you know, teaching. We have our Wednesday night teaching. And then right now we, got, we have two classes in, in Bible college that we have. And so we're constantly studying. But be careful that I'm not just seeking, you know, head knowledge. But man, that Lord, I want you in my heart. I, I want to draw closer to you. Let it not just be a study that I want to give to the people, but Lord, let it be first given to me. And that Bob would take heed to the dangers of slipping away, the dangers of drifting away, because it can just become mechanical. And we're not like the, the Hebrews that would go back to the law, but we can so easily go back to religion. Or we could so easily go back, you know, to Babylon. We could go back to Egypt. And so the danger's there. And so it's a strong encouragement here, church. Now we go to verse 2. 
And he goes on, for if the word spoken through angels, and we developed that last week, proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedient received a just reward. Man, if there's sin, that's transgression. If there's disobedient, that's sin also. We're going to receive a just reward. And that speaks of a payback. That speaks of a recompense. In other words, we're going to get what we deserve. Be careful. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, this is what Paul writes. The word was appointed by angels. The word was appointed, given to us by angels. Now, angels, as we developed last week, one of their callings is that they're messengers of God. And they have brought forth the word of God to man. Man writes it, brings it forth, the prophets and such. And here we have God's word even today. Now, if God's word was delivered through his angels, his messengers, and his word is true, yet the people, God's people, and we're speaking about the nation of Israel, they disobeyed and were punished for their violations of the law. What about us? You see, God's word is true. But do we obey it? Or do we just read it? Well, that's Old Testament, Pastor Bob. Oh, well, that didn't apply to us. That applied to them. And we kind of pick and choose, don't we? Now, back in Daniel, and I want you to write it down, in chapters 10, 11, and 12, Daniel was given the final vision of the last days. The angel came and it spoke to Daniel. God said, Daniel, I want you to write all these things down. And then at the end of chapter 12, he says, now shut the book until the time of knowledge increases. And then, Daniel, you will open the book. Well, here we are, church, in the 21st century. I mean, knowledge has increased. We know more about Scripture today than we ever have. We have more knowledge about uh, Scripture than we ever had. Uh, We have so many great scholars. And so we know the Word of God. We've been taught the word of God. So it's time, Daniel, open up the book. And we see the prophetic word of Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. It's right before our very eyes, church. And so the word of God, it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so again, we can argue, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor Bob. Well, let me give you some New Testament. In the book of Acts, in chapter 7, Stephen is the first martyr of the church. He was giving testimony from Genesis to the present time in the book of Acts in the early church. He spoke to the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin at this time. In verses 52 and 53 of Acts chapter 7, he testified of what the prophets of old said. Now listen to what he says in verse 52. He says, name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. This is Stephen speaking to the religious leaders. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the one who predicted or prophesied the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and you murdered. He's speaking right to their hearts. In verse 53, you deliberately disobeyed God's law, though you received it from the hands of angels. Now Isaiah spoke of the birth and the death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the book of Isaiah. 
the Jewish religious leaders heard Stephen out, and there was another gentleman there. You go back and you study it. Saul of Tarsus. We know him as Paul the Apostle. And the Bible says that he consented. Now, Stephen took them from Genesis up to the point of the book of Acts. And they didn't do nothing to him until he was done. And that's the Holy Spirit. But then they consented uh, to Stephen's death. They took their coats off and they laid them at Saul of Tarsus' feet. Saul of Tarsus got to see the death of this young man, the first martyr of the church. I believe that that never left this Saul of Tarsus. He saw something in this young man because when he died, I mean, he looked up into the heavens and he says, Father, I'm ready. And he died. He was stoned to death. Now, I want to believe, this is my theory, that he didn't even feel the stones at that time. He was so connected with his father. Yes, his life was taken, and God just allowed it, but it never left this solitarsis. I believe it pricked his heart. How could this young man die such a glorious death? How could he give God the glory even at the end? Now, why do I say that? Because later in Acts chapter 9, Paul has letters in hand. This is Saul of Tarsus. He's going to Damascus. He's going to bring back Christians, just like he did Stephen. And he's going to put them on trial. They're going to go through the court system, and they would most likely be found guilty of what? Being a Christian. And then they would die or be imprisoned. And Paul would consent. Saul of Tarsus would consent. But remember in Acts chapter 9, a light shone round about him. And then all of a sudden, it says that Saul of Tarsus was knocked down off of his animal. We don't know if it was a camel or a donkey or a horse. He was knocked down. Do you remember the words that Saul of Tarsus said? He knew that it was the power of God that knocked him down. He responded, is that you, Lord? I believe since Stephen's death, the Holy Spirit had been working on his heart, knocking at his heart, because he responded, is that you, Lord? And we know that Saul of Tarsus continues to Damascus, but he's blinded. He has to be led to Damascus. And then he goes to a man's house by the name of Ananias. Ananias is a Christian, and he has to care for Paul, this Saul of Tarsus, for three days. He's got scales in his eyes. What went through this man's heart for three days? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I know it's you. Lord, I see Stephen's face, man. I consented to his death. I, I had him killed, basically. I was part of it. I cheered it on. Lord, I saw him die a martyr's death. Oh, Lord, forgive me. The Bible says that God told Ananias, I want you to clean him now. Remove the scales in his eyes. I'm going to use him to speak to magistrates and kings. Now, Ananias was concerned. 
This is Saul of Tarsus. Lord, I'm going to take the scales off his eyes. I'm going to clean him up. And then the first one he's going to see is me. He's going to want to take me back. But Ananias was obedient. And Paul was never the same, church. He was never the same after that. You see, God takes his word, and his word will not come back void, and God will touch us. The word of God is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is the word? Jesus is the word. You continue there in John chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus is the word. In Hebrews 13, 8, again, God's word. Jesus is the word. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, Paul had heard as Stephen ministered God's word to the religious leaders. When you first heard the word of God, it pricks your heart. You come here on a Sunday, and it's being preached, it's being taught, and it pricks your heart. God's word will not come back void. And God's word is supposed to change us, transformation. Is there fruit in your life? If not, you're going to be finding yourself slipping away, drifting away. That boat that wasn't secured to the dock, that ring that so easily slips off the finger. And then he takes it to the next step. Look at verse 3. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What a powerful statement. The writer of Hebrews, which is the Holy Spirit, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed? Where was it confirmed? In our hearts. To us by those who heard him. And so here in verse 3, He's already told us about the dangers of slipping away, of drifting away, of beginning to backslide. And now the writer of Hebrews here in in verse 3, he just nails it down. Now I want you to mark it down in verse 2, which we just studied. If judgment came and time passed because our ancestors disobeyed God's word, that's what he shared. In verse 3 now, do we think we can escape the judgment if we ignore or if we deny this great salvation that was announced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself? And it has been passed on to us by those who heard him speak. Now up to this point, we're talking about the Hebrews here. The Hebrew Christians up to this point, in the writing of the book of Hebrews, the gospel had been preached at least for 30 years now. It had been preached at least for 30 years. But what about us? We've had the gospel for the last 2,000 years. Nobody. I mean, we're without excuse, especially in our United States of America. How can we say, I never heard the gospel? It's inundated. Or you might refuse to hear, but the gospel's there. Before you got saved, remember flipping through the channels, even if it was television or radio, and then you hear preaching, oh, man, what's that? You know what used to happen to me? Late at night, I'd be drinking. Late at night, I'm cruising away, right? And then the preacher would come on, and I'd go, nah, let me hear what he has to say. And then I would change it after about 10 minutes because I didn't like what he said. It was convicting. 
All of a sudden, the beer didn't taste good. All of a sudden, the drink didn't taste good. All of a sudden, that, you know, uh, that dope you were smoking didn't taste good. You go, whoa, I'm not going to listen to that channel. What would happen next time around? I wonder if that guy's still there. Like he's not there. <laughs> Our curiosity. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. One of the guys back here in the chapel years ago, Augie was in Southern California, and he was not saved yet, but he's listening. And every morning he would go to work at 5 o'clock, and he was on the 60 freeway. Nobody's with him. And he's listening to this preacher every morning, every morning. But he's not saved yet. And then one day the preacher says, listen, if you've never given your life to Christ, today is the day of your salvation. If you're in a car, if you're in a truck, if you're driving the freeway, I want you to pull over because I don't want you to get in an accident. He goes, that's me. Whoom, he pulls over. And then he says, I want you to put your hand on the radio. And I want you to repeat this prayer. That's how he got saved. You see, God's word is convicting. God's word is revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit in my heart and your heart. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, I want you to see some words. How can we escape? The translation there, how can we flee if we neglect, listen, if we're careless or if we disregard so great a salvation? So mighty, the word salvation, a rescue, a deliverance. We have such access to God's saving grace. It's a stern warning. Don't disregard God's great salvation. The gospel message is the completeness, as we shared, of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the law. You see, back in the early church, they were accusing Jesus of trying to destroy the law. In Matthew 5, verse 17, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but I came to fulfill it. The New Testament completes the Old Testament. I didn't come to destroy. I came to complete it. Listen, you come, you know, Sabbath after Sabbath, and you bring in your turtle doves, you bring in your sheep, you bring in your goats, and the, the priest takes it through, kills it, bleeds it, offers it up for your sin and the sins of your family. But now Jesus is the complete Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what we celebrated last Sunday. When Jesus came into the, the Jordan Valley there, he was coming to get water baptized. And then John, don't forget those words. John the Baptist, he says, look, he points to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. And so, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We cannot escape God's judgment unless we come to saving grace. Now, there's two words I want you to key on. Back in verse 2, underline the word steadfast. And then here, in verse 3, underline the word confirmed. He's talking about being steadfast in the word, being confirmed in your heart in the word. So here, in verse 2, the word is steadfast. In verse 3, the word is confirmed. Speaking about God's word, the word steadfast, the word of God is firm. 
The word steadfast, the word of God is sure, it's secure, it's stable. The word of God has force. The word of God has strength. Listen to this verse in Hebrews 3, 14. The writer says we are partakers of Jesus Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast. The word is secure, the word is firm, to the end. In other words, do not drift, do not slip, do not backslide, but stay steadfast in the Lord. Now, verse 3, the word confirmed. The word of God is established. That's the word confirmation here. It's established. Where is it established? Now, it's established right here in the word of God. But God desires to establish it in my heart, in your heart. The word of God is established in one's heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6, the testimony of Jesus Christ was confirmed in you. Again, John 15, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. The word of God was so important in the Old Testament, it is still important today. Mark down this verse. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 20, listen to what Moses writes. This is part of the Pentateuch. In verse 18, place God's word in your heart. Where do we place God's word? Oh, it's, it's in the book. They had it in the Torah. We have it in the complete Bible. But let's take it out of the Bible and let's place it in our hearts. Let's not just read it. I, I remember somebody told me one time, one time oh, Pastor Bob, I, I read the Bible already. What do I do now? What do you mean you read the Bible? I've been reading the Bible for 30 years. I'm not done yet. Man, you go back and you draw so much. Man, the Word of God is life. And so in Deuteronomy 11, verse 18, place God's Word in your heart. Verse 19, teach your children God's Word. In verse 20, listen. Put God's word on your doorpost of the home. I remember Pastor Rawl had gone to England and he came back and he had heard. Remember, the Brits were the ones that sent missionaries to the United States. And he says he had heard when the Brits were on fire back in the 1700s, that they used to literally write scripture on their houses. And so he was, you know, being taken by a tour guide. And he asked the guy, hey, is it true they used to? And he goes, I'm going to take you to an old neighborhood. And they drove into this old neighborhood. And the shrubbery had all grown over all the houses. You couldn't see the eaves. You couldn't see, you know, just the roof kind of slanting over. I mean, the shrubbery. And he tells them, pick a house. What do you mean? Pick a house. Okay, that one. They pull over. He goes, let's get off. He goes, help me now. Let's pull the shrubbery back. Pull it back, pull it back. He goes, what do you see? Full-blown scripture. Let's go to another house. Same thing, full-blown scripture. The people that are living there now don't even know anything about it. Now, we're not accustomed to that. But I hope and pray you have scriptures in your house. My wife has put scriptures everywhere. You go to our bathroom, we got scripture there. I mean, you read everything else, don't you? Put scripture there. Back in 1980, 
I had gone to Pennsylvania, the area of Harrisburg, Lancaster there, and I was in a little town called Lewistown, Pennsylvania, and we were there to set up a company. Basically, our company in California was moving there, and so I went with a bunch of guys, and we set up the machinery, and then we were to train the guys how to run them, and I, I just wanted to go there because I had heard about the Amish, and man, I just wanted to plug in. Well, I found out the Amish didn't want to talk to me. They thought I was crazy. We are called the English, right? And I remember I walked up to an Amish guy and go, hey, praise the Lord, brother. I heard you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. His eyes just bugged out. My hair was out to there. My beard was, you know, bell bottoms everywhere. And Christian? But here's what amazed me. On the weekends, we would just drive. I mean, i never seen such beautiful country. And I was amazed when I began to see, I began to see Scripture on the side of barns. I mean a full-blown barn. You know how big those barns are? And I mean Scripture that you could see from the highway. You know, Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, I mean Scriptures that were pertaining to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. And so I, I saw a few, and I thought, man, this is great. No, we kept going. They do it. Every barn had that. I thought, this is so cool. What about the Word of God today? Now, another thing that they did there in Deuteronomy chapter 11, they took Scripture, and they put it inside a leather box, and they used to tie it to their foreheads. It was called a phylactery. They would also take a leather pouch box, it would be like your watch, and then they would wrap it around their, their wrist and forearm, and then inside would be Scripture. I mean, they took Scripture to heart. The Word of God is steadfast. The Word of God is confirmed in our hearts. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I came to the conclusion years ago, and I hope and pray you have also. Salvation is a free gift of God. Why would we neglect the word disregard? Why would we disregard such a free gift? Such a free gift. We know the scripture in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is salvation. Everlasting life is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, my favorite scripture when it comes to salvation. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Last week we were talking about the two thieves on Jesus' left and right side. One of them said, hey, save yourself. Save yourself. And the other one says, hey, Jesus, remember me this day in paradise. So simple. Did he get off the cross and was he water baptized? No. Did he get off the cross and attend a Bible study? No. Did he get off the cross and, and, and write a check and put it in the agape box? No. He simply said, Lord, remember me this day in paradise. A free gift. Why would we neglect such a great gift of salvation, especially in our United States of America? 
Now, oftentimes, I like to read different translations. And when I came to verse 3, I looked at several. I'll look at the NIV. I'll look at the NASB. I, I like to look at the Jerusalem translation. I like to look at the New Living Translation. But I came to the Amplified. And if you get a chance, pick up an Amplified Bible. The word Amplified, it, it magnifies it. It brings it out. Now, verse 3 is kind of short when you think about it, but listen to the Amplified. The Amplified Bible in verse 3, Hebrews chapter 2 says this, How shall we escape, and then he parenthesizes, appropriate retribution? In other words, how shall we escape judgment if we neglect and refuse to pay attention to such a great salvation as it is now offered to us, then letting it drift past us, Forever, for it was declared at first by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and it was confirmed to us and proved to be real and genuine by those who personally heard him speak. The blessing was that those in the early church heard him speak. The 12 that heard the teachings of Christ, they took it to everybody else. Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 came to saving grace. And here we are, 1,950 plus years later, look what we have. 2,000 years later, look what we have, church. Look at the witness of the early church, the original 12, and that would include Paul the apostle now, because he, I believe, replaced Judas. Now, Paul, we just studied, if you had been coming to the church, we had gone through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus. These are called pastoral epistles. And so Paul was encouraging Timothy and Titus. Listen to this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Paul exhorts his young pastor. He's a pastor at the church at Ephesus. I believe that he was encouraging him because young Timothy was at that place. He was drifting. He was neglecting. He was beginning to you know, slip away. The ministry can become harsh and hard. And so he writes in verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, Timothy, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Timothy, you were prayed for. Timothy received the salvation in his heart. And then Timothy received the calling. He had the gift of ministry. But yet, it was hard. It's never easy. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Examine yourself and see if you be in the faith. The Bible says we're in a race. And it's not who wins the race. But listen, it's who finishes the course. It's who finishes the course. I want to enter the pearly gates one day, and the Lord say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. Now, the last point for verse 3. If we neglect, the word is discard. If we dis discard the salvation that God has so graciously made available for us, listen, then we are in danger of hell fire and the choice is ours the choice is our lord that's not fair you put me in hell no you put yourself in hell your sins put you in hell you realize that god did not make hell for man 
God made hell for the fallen angels. Well, thanks, Lord, you put me here. No, you put yourself there. You neglected such a great salvation. Well, you know, I thought I had plenty of time. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Last verse, look at verse 4. He says, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now, here's the Greek structure of verse 4. God added his message with signs and wonders. And here's a good translation, what we just read, with various miracles, then by giving gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever and whoever he chose to do so. Again, in book of Acts chapter 2, they were all, 120 were in the upper room, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell on them uh, as of cloven tongues of fire. And they were never the same. This was all done by the will of God. The fulfillment of the book of Joel chapter 2. The prophetic word. Now, I looked at this. God also, bearing witness, he added to this, his message, signs, wonders, and miracles. And so I kind of broke it down. The word signs in the Greek, listen, is an indication of something supernatural. That God has changed something. That God has radically changed a life. And that's what God is into, church. He's in the changing business. He wants to transform your life. He wants to transform my life. And we're continually being transformed. You see, I personally saw God's supernatural work of salvation. Back in Southern California, I saw drug addicts come to saving grace. I saw alcoholics come to saving grace. I saw sexual perverts come to saving grace. I've seen some of you, what God has done and brought you to saving grace. God is in the supernatural changing power. Look at the word wonders. The Greek word for wonders, sometimes it means this, something strange. Now, stay with me. Something strange that causes the eye of the beholder to marvel. In other words, man, I know that guy. Man, I know that girl. Wow. God has radically changed that person. Back in Southern California, I was working prison, jail, street ministry. We were working with a lot of gangs, going to Tehachapi State Prison and going to the jails. And so, you know, I got to know a lot of gangbangers and such. But there was one particular gentleman, 21-year-old young man. His name was Leo. I never forgot him. This guy, he dropped out of school somewhere around the sixth grade. And even though he went up to the sixth grade, there was nothing up there. He didn't know how to read. His speech was only street talk. But he came to saving grace. God got a hold of this young man. And when you got saved, they give you a Bible. And man, we used to minister to a group of guys, and he was part of it. And every time I saw Leo, he was weeping. And I saw God transform this young man. And he wasn't wearing khakis anymore. He wasn't, you know, wearing the, 
the garb that you know, God began to transform him inside and out. And then I said, Leo, what's God been doing in your life? And he, he was always crying. He says, Bob, I didn't know how to read, man. I couldn't read. I went to the sixth grade, but it didn't mean nothing. I couldn't read. I always thought I was stupid. But I didn't know how to read. And I would stay up at night crying. I would get the Bible and I would just hug it. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to read. Teach me to read. He said, that's the first book I ever read. Nobody taught him. The power of God's Holy Spirit. And he's reading King James. That's the power of God, church. And the people that knew him personally, they just marveled. Wow. We saw testimony after testimony. And that's wonder, something strange that caused the eye of the beholder to marvel. The word miracles is the word dunamis. It's the word we get power. It's the word that we get dynamic power. The word strength, the word ability, the word enabling. Only God can give you the Holy Spirit power. Only God can enable you to preach His word. Only God can bring a sinner to saving grace by His Spirit. We merely become the avenue, the tool, the instrument that God chooses to use. Miracle signs and wonders. Some of you have witnessed that. How can we neglect such a great salvation? How can we slip away, drift away when we know God's word, the power of God's word? Now I want to conclude with some of the miracles in the Old Testament, New Testament, real quick. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 34. Has any God, listen, small g, ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testing, by miracle signs and wonders, by war, by mighty hand on the outstretched arm, or by the great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to study Exodus chapter 7 through chapter 11. And there we get the... Ten signs, the ten miracles that God brought forth. Remember that Moses went up to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And then it began, the ten plagues. And I'm going to go through it real quick. God made water to turn to blood. God brought forth frogs that covered the land. Then he brought forth gnats that covered the land, flies that covered the land. Livestock was stricken. Number six, boils on man and beast. Number seven, hail mixed with fire. And then locusts covered the land. And nine was darkness overwhelmed for three days. And then number 10, the firstborn of Egypt died. And besides that, then you come to the Red Sea and God parts it. He puts a pillar of fire to keep away the Egyptians. And then two million plus cross the Red Sea and nobody gets stuck in the mud. And then God closes the water and the Egyptian army drowns. And they say, well, there's a certain time of the year that the Red Sea, the tide goes back. And that's a miracle in itself. The greatest army in the world at that time drowns in two feet of water. 
the hand of God, church. Now, what about the New Testament? These are the miracles of Jesus. Now, on your own, if you have a, a good commentary, they'll give you 38 miracles of Jesus in the New Testament. These are just the miracles of Jesus. Jesus turns water into wine at Cana, at the marriage in John chapter 2. Jesus heals a demoniac at the synagogue in Mark chapter 1. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law at Capernaum in Luke chapter 4. And you say, wait a minute, I've never prayed for my mother-in-law. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus heals two demoniacs in Gadara in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus heals a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She had an ongoing menstrual cycle there in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of, of bread and two fish in Luke chapter 9. And then he comes the next day or the next couple of days and Jesus feeds 4,000 with seven loaves and some fish, Mark chapter 8. And I love this one. Jesus heals Lazarus, his friend there in Bethany, that had been in the tomb for four days. His sister says, Lord, by now he stinks. Lazarus come forth in John chapter 11. Why wasn't there a revival after that? I see a dead man come out of his grave after four days wrapped in, you know, grave cloths. I'm coming to saving grace, man. Lastly, Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one leper Return to thank him. Luke chapter 17. Church, be careful with the dangers of drifting away. Be careful with the dangers of slipping away. I thank the Lord that you're here this morning. But how many are not here throughout our great city? How many pastors have fallen by the wayside? How many church leaders, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, ushers, greeters, sound people that have drifted away? How can we neglect such a great salvation? God has made it so beautiful for us. And this morning... If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I'm going to ask you to respond. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, this morning, we have heard your precious word. The Bible says that your word will not come back void. Lord, with every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here this morning and you heard the message and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and maybe you haven't come to that place a saving grace, or maybe you've backslidden, you've already drifted, you've already slipped away so far. Today is the day of your return. Today is the day of your salvation. Again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you this morning, please don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, I don't care if you're young, you're middle-aged, or you're old. Today is the day of reckoning, the day of your salvation. If that's you, I just want to say a simple prayer. Would you please indicate by raising your hand, I want to pray for you. Anybody here, real quick this morning, you'd like to come to Saving Grace. I see your hand up here in the front. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else would like to make that commitment to Christ? Not to Calvary Chapel, not to Pastor Bob, but to Jesus. Raise your hand real quick, anybody. 
This lady up in front rose her hand. Anybody else before we end? Praise the Lord. Let's all stand then. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father. Father, right now, in the precious name of Jesus, I thank you for this lady up here towards the front, to my right, their left. Lord, she raised her hand. She, she heard the gospel message, Lord. Lord, your, your Holy Spirit has spoken to her. Lord, that you would just come into her life. Lord, that you would set her free. Lord, you know her sins, past, present, and future. Lord, I ask you to forgive her. I ask you to cleanse her. I ask you to wash her. I ask you to make her afresh and anew. And Lord, I ask you to baptize her in the power of your Holy Spirit. She would never be the same after this. Lord, I ask you to give her a hunger and a thirst for your word. Bless her, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for the rest of us. Lord, we need your spirit. Lord, we need your empowering. Lord, we need your enabling. Lord, we confess to you, we cannot do it without you, Lord. Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Lord, bless your people as they've come this morning. Father, bless the offerings. As you've given to us, Lord, we give back a portion. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.